Can God trust you with his silence? Shalom. Thank you for joining us for this bonus teaching from the second Sunday of Easter, April 24th, 2022 from Christchurch, Jerusalem. In 2016, Andrew Brunson was arrested by the Turkish government on false charges and imprisoned for more than two years. Andrew connects his imprisonment to a prayer he began praying in 2007. Father God, draw me so close to your heart that you will trust me with the authority to start waves. While Andrew believes his arrest was a satanic attack, he also believes God used it to test him and refine him. Andrew says not hearing God's voice or sensing his presence in prison broke him, yet the deep-rooted love nurtured over years of pursuing the heart of God sustained Andrew through his dark night of the soul and drew him into an intimacy known only by God's battle-tested saints. So tonight I want to uh, move on from the brokenness that we talked about on Friday and into something more positive uh, and uh, tell you what, what it is that I think best prepared me for going through the difficulties that I did and what best prepares all of us really uh, for standing in difficulties. Uh, in 2007, I prayed a prayer that, that changed my life. I call it the Wave Starter Prayer, and this is now the name of our, Noreen and I have a, a small ministry, and it's called Wave Starters, and it comes from this prayer in 2007. Um, and I encourage you to pray this prayer. It's a prayer that took me to prison. No. <laughs> you know, I had a very difficult time in prison, but, but there were some very precious things that I appreciate much more now that I'm out. And, and no one can take it away from me. It is very, very precious. I wouldn't want to go through it again, but it, it's really, um, it was, many good things came out of it in my heart. It was very precious to me. Anyway, so I prayed this wave starter prayer in 2007 that changed, changed my, my direction. Father God, draw me so close to your heart that you'll be able to trust me with the authority to start waves. So I'm in Turkey, and I want to see waves of the Holy Spirit, waves of the kingdom, and I want power, I want authority, I want gifts, and I still want those things, but, but God put something else in my mouth. Uh, Father God, draw me so close to your heart. And this isn't what I was thinking. I was thinking about the power and the authority. But God put this in there. You want the authority, you want the power. God, God needs to be able to trust me. And the way that he'll trust me is if I'm close to his heart. So this redirected me and I began to run after his heart. It was really, we began to run after intimacy and Noreen was running right alongside with me at the same time just in this pursuit of intimacy and of presence. And so uh, this can be very abstract when we talk about the love of God. So I want to be practical because David has been emphasizing we need to be practical, right? So it was very practical for me. I said, I said, God, I don't love you with all my heart and soul, mind and strength. I don't, but I want to. I want to. 
I'm not thirsty for you the way the psalmist says, as a deer uh, pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. I'm not thirsty in that way, but I want to be. Make me thirsty for you. Make me hungry for you. And as, as we cried out, we started having meetings just to seek God's face, not to do intercession or, or study the Bible or anything, just to seek his face and his presence. Oh, make me hungry. Make me thirsty for you. And it started to happen. This pursuit of God's heart began to change us. It began to shape us. And it positioned us to receive assignments from God. So I'm going to skip over some assignments and go right to the prison assignment. Now, I don't think that God put me into prison. I think that was a satanic attack. But God was fully involved in my imprisonment. It didn't surprise him. And I think he actually kept me in there for longer than many people expected I would be in. God was very involved in it. So... So I, I came to see that this was an assignment from God that was preparing for harvest with all that prayer pouring into Turkey. And there were other things that he was doing as well. So I came to see it as an assignment. And God knew, he knew what a hard time I was going to have. He knew that I was going to break. He knew that I would come up right to the point of failure. I was very close to failing. And he did it anyway. He did it anyway. And, and I thought about that. Why, why did you do that? And, and one of the reasons is that I think he could trust me. He could trust me with that very difficult assignment. And I think that the reason he could trust me is because I had been running after his heart for some years. And so he knew that even in my most difficult times, I would still turn my eyes toward him and not away. Often I couldn't do any more than that. But he knew that I would not turn away because of that pursuit of his heart over the years. So here's an important truth that I want to underline, that love fuels endurance. Love fuels perseverance. It's what makes us willing to undertake risk and hardship and difficulties. It was, it's what makes us willing to carry burdens. Love doesn't quit. And I think when we look at, you know, we know this from movies and literature where, uh, you know, mothers and fathers sacrifice themselves for their children. And then, of course, all the love stories, a man is willing to suffer all kinds of things for, for the woman he wants to win, the woman he loves. In my case, I have a very uh, a living example, which is Noreen. So we were arrested together. So she got a taste of uh, what it's like to be locked up for a couple of weeks. And then they released her. And people we respect, you know, uh, leaders, uh, church leaders said, Noreen, you need to come back to the States. Let God take care of Andrew. You need to take care of yourself. <clears throat> now, this wasn't wrong advice. <clears throat> but she said, she said, I'm not going to do that. And she knew that I, how difficult it was for me. She knew that I was starting to break. And she was the only person who was allowed to visit me. So she was my, my only connection. And, and she loves me. And because of that, she placed herself at risk. There was some risk to her staying. We didn't know if they would pick her up again and arrest her or what could happen to her. 
but she stayed there and put herself at risk because of her love for me. So a lover is willing to suffer for the one that she loves. An admirer may not be so willing. And God has many admirers. He has many servants too, but he has few lovers. And so I say, determine that you will be a lover of God, that you will run after his heart. And I want to give some examples of how this love for God that had built up over the years, but this is not just an accumulation, but also uh, an inclination, uh, a decision. Uh, what was the word we used? We were talking this afternoon, Noreen. Just a, a determination that I'm going to focus my life on loving God and just show, I, I want to show how some of this worked out practically in my imprisonment and how it fueled faithfulness for God. So one day I was reading in Philippians um, and a verse just drove into my heart. I didn't have a, a Bible for, for at the beginning of my imprisonment. I was held in several different places and different rules each place. Eventually I was allowed, I, I don't know if it was a six month mark or something like that to have a Bible. And uh, this verse just drove into my heart. And Paul is writing about Timothy. Uh, well, he's writing about the church. He sets up Timothy as an example, but he says, everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And he drove this into my heart. And I started to cry because I thought, this is me. I'm looking out for my own interests. My own interests are to be with my wife and with my children. You know, I had these, the threat of three life sentences in solitary confinement with no parole hanging over me. And so I didn't know that I would see them again. So this is what's driving this grief and this sense of loss. I want to be with my wife. I want to be with my children again. This is my interest, to be out of prison. But what if the interests of Jesus are best served by my remaining in prison? Which was a possibility. And I became aware that I had been putting my interests ahead of the interests of Jesus. And this became a turning point for me because then I began to fight. I began a daily fight to get to that point of embracing the interests of Jesus ahead of my own. You could say of surrendering my will and say, not mine, but yours be done. And so I wake up in the morning and I wake up with a sense of, of, uh, of fear, of hopelessness of dread. <laughs> and I begin, I know what my goal is. I need to get to that point of surrender where I say, I'm willing to remain in prison if this is what serves your purposes. And I would fight toward that. And I would eventually get there. Okay, God, I don't want to be here, but I'm willing to do it. If it serves your purposes, give me the strength so that I'll be able to endure and be faithful because I can't do it. I don't have the strength but I declare that I'm willing. And then I would have some measure of peace. Usually this, by the time I got to the evening, I would have won that battle and I'd have a measure of peace. Not as much peace as you would think, but some. And then I wake up the next morning and it's the same sense of dread and the same fear and you start the battle over again, day after day, day after day, heading to that point of surrender. 
Now, over time, this built, built to strengthen me. Over time, it, it, it was an upward trajectory, and it became a little easier to surrender. But why did I do this? Because of my love for God. It was love that drove this. I also think of, I was a worship leader for many years. And when I landed in, especially when I was moved into high security prison, I was so shocked by it and, and uh, felt uh, betrayed by God. And I knew that I was supposed to worship. I knew that I had to do this. And I tried to sing, great is thy faithfulness. I couldn't get it out of my mouth <laughs> because I would start to sing. I knew that I had to do it to force myself. I couldn't get it out because I would start to sob and choke up because, because I was so wounded that I, I would cry. I felt so hurt by God. I couldn't do it. I used to say it in my mind, but I couldn't get it out of my mouth. And... Uh, in my second year, Noreen said, Andrew, you have to worship. You have to do this. She spoke truth to me. She would come and on our visits, we're, you know, have we this reinforced glass with bars and speaking on a phone and put her hand up. And I put my hand up across from hers. And she, she had that weight, that pressure to come in and speak to me and encourage me and bless me. She would plan ahead of time. How can I bless Andrew? She'd, the first thing she'd do is immediately declare things over me and bless me in the name of the Lord. And then she had to speak truth to me. And this was one of those truths. You have to worship. And so I made a decision. I'm going to, I'm going to set aside half an hour every night and I'm just going to worship. And I did, and I often didn't feel like doing it, but I did it anyway, because I was sure that then the walls would fall down. No. <laughs> you know, people did tell me, worship your way out of prison, just sing really loud, you know, and there's, you know, and, and you know, Paul and Silas and all of that, and, you know, I have a little cynical streak, and I thought, well, but they were only there for one night. No? <laughs> They were both Roman citizens, so they had a get-out-of-jail-free card that they didn't use at that very, the, the very first night. But anyway, uh, but, you know, were they, were they singing in a happy, clappy way? Or were they, or was this a sacrifice of praise? I think is, uh, Rick, are you here? Rick, Rick is here, our good friend Rick and Patricia. And there's a story about his daughter, Esther, that really moves us. Uh, she, she had a very painful cancer, and she died. And then they resuscitated her. She came back to life uh, and was then alive for, I don't know, two or three weeks before she went finally to be with the Lord. But during that time that she was dead, she had a, 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 an encounter with Jesus, and he was doing a life review and pointing out some highlights of her life. And, you know, she, she had a beautiful voice, and she had recorded a worship, an album, and it was even popular in the UK. And she thought that, you know, Jesus was good. Man, this is such a great album. This, I really like this. And, but he skipped over that, and he showed her the times that she worshipped in her pain. 
in the most difficult times. <clears throat> and he said, you'll never know how much this meant to me. You'll never know how much this touched my heart. He said other things as well, but this really touched me. So her worship was precious to Jesus. My worship was precious to him because it was a declaration of my love for God in a very difficult situation. My declaration of love for him in, in the dark night, the dark night of thy soul. I did this because I loved him. Also in my, my uh, second year, uh, I disciplined myself to dance. And uh, I, I need to demonstrate because it has to be practical. This is when everyone laughs at me. <laughs> yeah, so, so I made a decision in that second. There were a number of things I did that second year that were disciplines and a, a, trying to, to change the way that I thought, have new perspectives that, that were very important in my rebuilding process. You know, God was rebuilding me. I had to cooperate with him. And... Uh, one of them was was this dancing before the Lord, and I chose to do that. It was a decision of the will. I did not feel like dancing. I was not. I was talking with someone recently. I did not have any sense of joy. But that's different. I, I have a hard time distinguishing between joy and and happiness. I I know that there's a difference, but I I don't really know exactly. Maybe Don Finto can explain that to me later. But uh, <laughs> but. But it feels close to happiness. And I never had that. But I did have a sense of rejoicing. I think there's a nuance. There's a distinction there. So that even in the heaviness and the grief and the, the, the sadness, the loneliness, there was, there was still a sense of, of a rejoicing that was not emotional, but it was a knowing that this is of great value, that it's important to God. That this is something he honors and that somehow, somehow, in a way I don't understand, I'm identifying with Jesus and his suffering. And I did, haven't figured that out. But I knew inside that, that there was something there. And this gave me a sense of rejoicing apart from the emotions. Anyway, to get back to the dancing, I, uh, you know, Jesus commanded that when we're persecuted, we're supposed to rejoice. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things about you on account of me. Rejoice and be glad. And so rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven for the same way they treated the prophets who came before you. So it's a command to rejoice. Even when you don't feel like it, command to rejoice. And, and I thought, I, have, I haven't done this. I have, not, I have not been glad. I haven't rejoiced in this. And it's a matter of obedience. And so I determined that I would dance those five minutes a day and I would sing those verses and then I'd get to the, you know, so I'm supposed to dance, dance around like this, hop around, you know. And I would sing the verses. I would sing those verses and jump around. Then I get to the point where, say, I rejoice. I am glad. And I would leap. And I'd leap around that that concrete square and my cellmates would look at me <laughs> what's wrong with them he has lost it now 
But here's what I want to say. It was, it was an act of joy. I didn't feel it. It was an act of joy, which was an act of obedience. Why did I do this? Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And if I love him, I have to rejoice. I have to do, I perform that act as, a, as an obedience because of my love for him. I think of how many times I said, uh, I just want to be a good son to my heavenly father. And then I'd push forward to surrender one more time. I would force myself, turn my eyes to Jesus, to, toward heaven one more time. Or I choose once again to forgive those who are hurting me and hurting my family. It's easier to forgive people who hurt me than people who hurt my family. And it was love that drove me to do, do this. Love is what motivated all of these acts. And on Friday, I talked about my offended heart. And it was also love that helped me to overcome the offended heart. So just a, a brief explanation for those who weren't here. God did not meet my expectations in prison. I expected to have this sense of strength and of joy, of grace, but instead I felt uh, very weak. I felt a lot of grief, and, and I, I did have grace, but it was mostly an unfelt grace. And the most difficult thing, the greatest disappointment was, I told you, I, 2007, I start running after presence. I start running after this intimacy with God, after his heart. And here I am, and I lost all sense of his presence. Just the silence of God for two years, and I felt so wounded by this, so disappointed, so abandoned. And as a result of that, I questioned his character, even questioned his existence. And so my doubts and questions are suffocating my friendship with God. And what I most wanted from God was presence. I... I wanted to get out of prison, but I thought, at least if I'm suffering, if I'm, if I'm persecuted, at least I, I, I want your presence with me. This is, what, this is what I most wanted. And over time, I began to, as he didn't give me his presence, and I went through disappointment again and again and had to deal with that, I began to think a lot more about what God wanted from me. I'd been very focused on what I wanted from him. So what I most wanted from pre was presence, and what he most wanted from me, I determined, was a simple love. Simple devotion to him. He wanted to, to see if I would devote myself to him in spite of my questions, in spite of my doubts, in my disappointment, and in spite of his silence. And so he stripped everything away. You know, he stripped away the encouragement of my closest friends. I longed to have another believer in, a, in the cell with me because I was so alone in my faith. And I thought of some of, my, some of my friends who would do well, who would do better than I am in prison, who could encourage me so I don't have to encourage them, you know. And there was a Turkish brother that I thought of a lot. Oh, if I had another believer with me. But God stripped away. I was alone. And stripped away the encouragement of my closest friends, of fellowship of believers, every way in which I had experienced his love and presence in the past. And then what's left is just the core, a core of love, 
a simple devotion to him that I'm clinging to in desperation so I don't lose my grip on that. And so when everything was taken away, when I'm stripped, what remained was the essential thing. The roots of love that had grown deep over the years. I wasn't even aware of it, but just that pursuit continuing over the years, that commitment to make him my priority, it just grew deep roots. And when everything else was taken, that was still there. It was the only thing that was there. And it was this simple devotion that overcame the offense. It was this, these roots that in my darkness and in the turmoil of my emotions, I, I still pressed into loving him. It wasn't just love from the past. It was a renewal of love day after day and doing the things that love does. So it was this simple devotion that overcame my offended heart. It's simple devotion that said, I lay aside the conditions that I've placed on you, God. I don't need answers. It's enough. I'm focused on loving you, and loving you is enough. So love includes emotions, but it's not limited to emotions. Love is also expressed in loyalty, in obedience, in commitment, in surrender. And sometimes this is without emotion. You know, it's much easier to feel good about God when we have this wonderful worship team and most of the encounters I've had with God have been during worship, but we can feel good about him and it's, it's easier to have the emotions of love when I'm aware of his presence, when I'm experiencing his goodness and his love. But when these are removed, especially, especially under pressure, then the love is tested. And my love for God was severely tested in prison. I, I want to tell you about one specific time. So I'd been in prison 11, 18 months already, and finally the Turkish government decided to put me on, on trial. And uh, I, had been, I had broken very badly in Shakran prison. And then they moved me to another place, another maximum security prison for my own protection. And, and it was there that the rebuilding started. And now for my trial, they moved me back to Shakran prison where I had experienced so much trauma. I had been suicidal. It was just a very stressful place for me. So they moved me back there unexpectedly and they put me into solitary confinement on, I was with the highest value prisoners, the generals they accused of uh, attempting a coup in solitary confinement, but they were in the cells next to me. We could yell out the window at each other. So I go back to this place and it just triggers all of this trauma again. And I just start to, to break again. And they told me, Andrew, you'll probably be here for the rest of your uh, trial. And these trials can go on for years, <laughs> the political trials. You'll be our guest. We'll take good care of you for the next few years. I just, oh no, not, not here. And on my trial day, I was exhausted. I hadn't slept for a couple days. I hadn't eaten uh, to put me in the courtroom. I have three judges in front of me, the prosecutor sitting next to me, uh, and false witnesses saying all kinds of things about me. And for 13 hours that day, I was just overwhelming. I just, I saw it doesn't matter what I say, how will I defend myself? It doesn't matter. This is, uh, it's, 
This isn't a real trial. It's a show trial. So after that 13-hour session, I go back to my room. I'm accused of terror crimes, of spying. By that time, they dropped the three life sentences. They only wanted 35 years. So for me at my age, that's a life sentence. So I went back to my room, and I'm lying on the bed there, and I'm just, I'm devastated. I'm alone. I'm isolated. I have this terrible fear and grief just welling up inside of me. And I'm crying, crying out loud. And the thought, the prayer just keeps going through my mind. Where are you, God? Where are you? Why have you permitted them to return me to this awful place? Why haven't you intervened for me? Why are you so far away? Why are you so silent? I'm just crying. And I open my mouth and, and, and I'm weeping aloud. And, and then what, I, what came out of my mouth, it surprised me. So I hear, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And then it suddenly hit me. Oh, wait. As I said, I was surprised. <laughs> What's coming out? And it hit me. Wait, this is what victory looks like. This is what victory looks like for me. Yes, I do love you. Even if you're silent, I love you. Even if you allow my enemy to hurt me, I love you. Even if you don't give me your presence, I love you. I still love you. <clears throat> and and I, I realized that, that I'd passed the test. That I'd passed the test of God's silence. I'd passed the test of, of, of solitude, of, of feeling abandoned, of, of being alone with no support, the test of this unfelt grace, of, of the weakness, the brokenness, the doubts, the offended heart. In some way I had passed it. Not that I was done with all of those, but there'd been a significant victory. Now this is a nation of soldiers. I haven't done military service. But I, there, on this side, there's a soldier who's received training and, and has, has skills. And over here, there's another soldier who has the same training and the same skills, but he's been in combat. And I'm told that there's a difference between them. And it's not a difference of skill or of training. It's that one has been in combat and come out of that proven in a sense. They've been tested. And there's a different, I think there's a different confidence. So this is what people in the military tell me. And I think it's the same thing in, in, in our walk with God. My love for God, before I went to prison, was, it was sincere. It was genuine. It was real. But until it was tested the way it was, it was unproven. It was real, but it was unproven. And now I've proven my love for God. During my worst time, I cried out to him, I love you, Jesus. So I, I've proven my love for him. Now, God may have known that I would remain faithful. You think of Abraham. Maybe God knows what, what Abraham's going to do, that he's willing to sacrifice Isaac. But until Abraham goes and actually raises his hand with that knife and is ready to do it, 
He hasn't proven it. He had to actually go through it and do it. So God may have known all along that I'll remain faithful, that I will still love him. But until I actually went through the test, I had not proven this. And so now that I have, then my testing is very valuable to God, is very precious to him, and is precious to me. That's why I said I I wouldn't trade my imprisonment. And I discovered that there's an intimacy that only comes through testing. There's an intimacy that only comes if you go through difficulties and pass a test. I think of some of the people I most admire in the Bible, and you start with people like Abraham and Joseph and Moses and David. You look at their lives, and each one of them went through, especially the latter three, they went through a long period of difficulty where the words that God gave them just were not coming true. And we could go and look at their lives and and see this. We don't have time for it. But they went through a time of the silence of God. And I'm sure that they had doubts and questions because they were just like us. But they emerged out of that time of, of delayed response, that time of silence. They emerged out of it faithful, having endured. And they emerged as friends of God. And I think maybe this is what actually qualified them to enter into a deeper friendship. So my question is, can God trust you? If God doesn't give you what you expect, if he doesn't give you what you think that you need, if he leaves you in silence, will you devote yourself to him anyway? Can he trust you? And I emphasize this in a room of people who many of you love God, many of you are in in his service. I emphasize this anyway because this is what Jesus said the most important thing is, is is to love God, to focus our lives on loving him with everything that we have. And it's so clear, it's so simple, and it's so, at least it's clear what we're supposed to do, but it's so difficult to do. It's just very difficult for us to maintain that focus and that passion and to keep running after his heart. <clears throat> we don't naturally increase in love for God. We naturally decrease over time. And so we have to nurture it. It doesn't happen on its own. And I'm living proof of that. Uh, you know, I, I tell people often there's, there's one thing I, there's only one thing I miss from prison. I don't want to go back, but there is one thing I miss. The prison food. It's, no. <laughs> no, it's not the prison food. But it's, uh, you know, the, the conditions of my imprisonment, they, they really tested me just the, the isolation, the loneliness, and the, the uncertainty, the fear. They did test me, but they drove me to cling to God as I never have before. I had never been so God-focused. Throughout the day, I spend my time talking to him. Even if I'm not, he's not talking back to me. I still, I never stop talking to him. And I'm running after him in desperation for survival. Now, physical survival, but also spiritual survival. And I'm, 
I keep my eyes on him. I'd never been so focused on God, and now I'm free, and I am enjoying it so much, and I never want to go back to prison. But, and I don't have those pressures driving me anymore. And I don't want the pressures. But I miss. I miss the desperation with which I ran after him. So the point is that we have to be very intentional. We have to, it's a pursuit. It's a lifelong pursuit. You have to keep going after, keep running after his heart. And begin building this into your life now. Don't wait until you are under pressure to start doing this. When did I start, Mike? Well, I'm going to tell you something good about Noreen. Uh, one of the best ways to, to build this uh, to being practical, this intimacy, is to spend time with God. And uh, Noreen and I, I told her we were held together for two weeks, and I noticed, that she, I noticed that she was handling it better than I was. And what had happened over the years is, you know, I'd get really excited and full of zeal, and you know the story about the tortoise and the hare, and, you know, the tortoise is very slow, and the hare is very fast, but... The tortoise wins in the end. And this was the two of us because I would run out ahead and I'm full of zeal and having encounters and all this stuff. And then I slack off and I just kind of ride on the past, you know, and, and then I start up again. And Noreen, day after day, even when we had young children, she just made it one, one of her main things, I'm going to set aside time for God, even, even when everything was so busy. And it's not that she was having all these amazing encounters with God while she's sitting there reading her Bible and praying, but she was feeding herself and she was, she was building a deep reservoir, just going deeper and deeper and adding to that. And so then when we both ended up in this terribly pressured situation, we're both drawing from that reservoir that's built up. And I had, I had my deep roots and all that. But you know what? She had a deeper reservoir than I did. And I saw it. And it came because of that steady, steady walk with him. So just being very practical. She says, uh, as she looks back, she says, I was not prepared. But I was not unprepared either. So you can't prepare for, you shouldn't spend all your time thinking about all the things that can happen to you. That's not very healthy. But, but we don't have to have unprepared hearts either. And the way we prepare them is by making this a priority. I am going to pursue the heart of God. I'm going to draw close to him. And that means I'm going to spend time with him. And so I say, make this your priority. And if you do, Everything in your life is going to come into the right alignment. It doesn't mean it will be easy, but everything will come into the right alignment, the priorities in your life. I want to finish with one, one thing because I've talked about the terrible silence, the, um, the silence of God. And there are actually a number of, of things that he did in my heart that I only really have seen more clearly once I've been out of this pressure situation. But I, I do want to underline one of them that I became aware of ju just about a year ago. I want to go back to that prayer that I told you about. Father God, draw me so close to your heart that you'll be able to trust me with the authority to start waves. And I don't know if you caught this. Right after that, I said, we began to pursue presence. 
And when I talk about this, I'd say, we pursued presence. Draw me so close to your heart, and so we pursued presence. But they're not the same thing. Drawing close to the heart of God, presence is part of it. You know, I, I, lo- I love the presence of God. I, I want to have it so much more. But that's not the entirety of drawing close to his heart. That's only part of intimacy. And I, I did pursue it for years, and this is why it was so painful and confusing to me when I lost all sense of God's presence. But I, I realized about a year ago that I'd made a mistake in my thinking, and I'd equated those two, drawing close to God and, and presence with drawing close to his heart. And what God showed me is that he had been answering that prayer throughout my time in prison. I wish I'd known that when I prayed that prayer. <laughs> I would still pray it. But he, it, he showed me, in a sense, he was, he was being faithful to answer that prayer that I'd prayed in 2007 and that I'd kept praying for years. That he was actually drawing me close to his heart, just in a very unexpected way, in ways I hadn't anticipated. So every time that I experienced something that Jesus did, this brought my heart into a bit more overlap with his. So, for example, I, I made a, a list. I'll tell you some of the things on the list. Just, For example, Jesus endured things that I also had a bit of a taste of. He faced opposition. He was greatly misunderstood. He was mocked and scorned. He was called evil. He was slandered and lied about. And he was persecuted for righteousness. Yet he persevered. And when enemies and friends betrayed him, by the way, there were people in my church who were false witnesses against me. We were betrayed by friends. Yeah. So when enemies attacked, when friends betrayed him, he forgave. In hardship, he learned obedience and endurance. Even when suffering great stress, he still surrendered to the will of God. And he felt those strong emotions of abandonment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet he still turns to the Father, into your hands. He still turns to, he feels that sense of abandonment, but he's still going to turn to the Father. So to some degree, in, in, in a range of areas, I have felt and acted, and I want to put these together. It's not just enough to go through the things that Jesus did. It's, the, the aim is also to respond to them the way that he responded. But I have felt and acted as Jesus did, responded as Jesus did in some areas, and this shared experience strengthens, strengthens, strengthens the friendship. So it's almost as if we can relate to each other uh, and, and bond a little more quickly. <laughs> Maybe that's just for me. But uh, he doesn't need that. I need it. But there's an immediate understanding of an experience, of a, of a shared experience that doesn't need to be explained. So in some way, experiencing the hardships that, that Jesus did, it drew me closer to his heart. But here I, I want to go back and underline that when I experienced some of the hardships that Jesus did, I tried to be like him in how I responded. 
Jesus is my older brother. I tried to follow his example. And this was a conscious sonship. Because Jesus is the perfect son. And I was trying to be like him. So I was learning how to be a son in difficult circumstances. And as a result, I, I became a proven son. And that means he can trust me with more. So God was answering my prayer all along. He was drawing me closer to his heart so that he could trust me with more. So I ask again, can God trust you? So Lord God, I ask that you give us a hunger and thirst for you. Light a fire in our hearts and Holy Spirit, keep blowing on it. Make us hungry. I ask for an impartation of lifelong hunger and thirst after you to be released in this room now. That we would never stop longing for you. That we would never become satisfied with what we have, but always know there's more of you. And long for the more. And run after the more. And run after your heart. So I ask for an impartation for the pursuit of your heart. An impartation for intimacy. And maybe some of us need to repent for not making the great commandment the most important thing in our lives. Maybe we've neglected that. This is a good time to, to turn, to change, to say, I want to place you first. I want to love you with all that I have, with all my heart, all my, my life, my might, with everything that I have, and pursue you. I bless you in the name of my King. Amen. You can also pray the wave starter prayer. <laughs> it will take you to good places. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.